Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt. Hackmastering, Ralph Tory Basham, MD. Andy Brandt Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. Special guest, Dr. Robert Cohn, up next, Tom Bernard Show. Join us every Thursday at 2 o'clock Central for our newest podcast, Car Selling Secrets. It'll be co-hosted by me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal from Walzer Automotive Group. We'll be talking about lots of stuff relating to how dealership sales actually work, as well as the latest product updates from nearly every make sold in the USA. If you have questions for the podcast, either email Doug at Walzer.com or call the studio live at 952-800-1492. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Yes, I heard that Dr. Robert Cohen, M.D., is a big-time metal fan. That's why Cassie's playing this song. It's Dr. Feelgood. Uh, <laughs> that's right. It is Dr. Feelgood. Ladies and gentlemen, our, our special guest, Dr. Robert Cohen, uh, Northwest measles outbreak revives debate over vaccine laws. Now, Dr. Cohen, i got to be honest with you. I'm of the age where what is the problem with vaccines now again i i I know my daughter who has a two-year-old and a and a seven-month-old she's not well her daughter's almost three she's uh, uh, she subscribes to the too many too fast theory yeah she just spreads them apart yeah so she still does them but yeah yeah oh she does okay Mm -hmm. i didn't know that so dr comb what's the word well the word is that there's a lot of misinformation on the internet but the recommended um CDC schedule, you know, has, is based on, it's not based on nothing. It's based on a lot of pediatricians getting together and deciding what's best. And, and, and this measles outbreak that's happening in the, in the, in Washington state right now is, is really unfortunate because measles is a pretty bad disease. That's why we're trying to eliminate it. And yet right. because of some misinformation that came out 20 years ago, which I'd like to talk about how we know that it's misinformation. Um, but because mm-hmm. of that, we've got kids that are getting measles now. Yeah, it's just too bad. And, we, we can't be having this stuff. And, and Doc, could you say just what those bad things are about measles? Because many people don't know. Right. So measles, for, for probably 90% of kids that get it, are going to be pretty sick. They're going to have fever, rash. Um, 20% might get a, a lung infection, what we call a pneumonia, which can kill you without antibiotics. Now, obviously, we have antibiotics, 
So we're pretty much okay there. But one in a thousand cases of measles will will have a severe reaction, including a brain inflammation, blindness, and, and and death. And so that's, you know, it was it was the second biggest killer of Native Americans after smallpox. And that's it's that's why it's so great that we have a good vaccine. It's also very contagious. It's one of the most contagious viruses we know about the average person with measles will infect 15 other people compare that to someone like the flu the average person with the flu will only infect three or four other people and so um yeah it's it's this is the kind of thing we could eliminate we could save a lot of money in our healthcare system if we eliminated it and 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 i think you know but it's incumbent on us doctors to really explain how we know that vaccines are safe because a lot of parents have legitimate concerns they just want what's best for their kid and there's so much misinformation right. out there so i'd really like to t- tell you tell you guys about the the studies that tell us what we know about why we know it i'd love to hear them all I, well, let me say one thing before you do start there's so much misinformation on on the internet you hop on you get all this bad information all these horrible claims when it turns out i'm actually a really nice guy I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, that's that's. I believe that. Um, so, okay, so, that was not very convincing. About about twenty years ago, um, autism was rising in, in the United States, and a, a British physician, based on twelve patients, published an article in which he asserted that um, there was a link between uh, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine and autism. And the medical community took this very seriously because if that was true, it would be a really, really big deal. Now, it later emerged that he still, he had a relationship with a, a law firm that was going to sue the company that made it, and he stood to make a lot of money. Eventually, uh, 10 of his co-authors retracted their support. He lost his license. And, but he really is one of the best con men that, we ever, that we've ever seen. When I listened to him, that's what made me go dig into the literature. When I listened to him, I, I thought he was pretty convincing. But so the medical community took this seriously, and... And what they did to test it, they tested, they looked at every single child born in Denmark from 1991 through 1998, because they had perfect medical records in that country, and that's 537,000 kids. And vaccination there was optional, so it was a great test case. 18% of kids were not vaccinated ever. But after they did the analysis, the rate of autism was actually slightly higher, 8% higher in kids that never got the vaccine than kids that did. And that, that study alone disproves the fact that vaccines cause autism because you should see almost zero cases in the unvaccinated group. And in fact, you saw a slightly higher rate. And then subsequent similar studies after that also proved that that the Denmark study was published in the premier world's medical journal, the New England Journal of Medicine. And then it's not only enough to tell us what we know does not cause uh, autism because autism is scary. And if you've got a kid with an autistic child, you want answers because it's it really does change your life. And so if you'll permit me, I'd also like to tell the story about where we know where autism does come from. I would love to hear it. So based, long story short, using similar methods where you look at thousands of children with autism, um, what we are finding is that it looks like uh, if the mom is unhealthy during pregnancy, specifically if she um, has uh, really severe gestational diabetes, diabetes, which only happens during pregnancy, maternal obesity, and then certain pharma, uh, pharmacologic drugs um, uh, taken, certain prescription drugs taken during pregnancy also appears to be associated with autism. And that makes sense because the brain is developing in the womb, and a lot of kids show signs of autism even before they get their first MMR vaccine. And so we have a pretty, you know, we don't know exactly where it comes from. All these things are multifactorial, just like cancer, but just like it took a while to prove that smoking causes cancer and they were tightly correlated, 
just similarly, we, we're getting a pretty good idea that um, ma- maternal uh, obesity and diabetes appears to be probably the reason why autism has gone up so much in the last 30 years, because certainly our society has gotten much less healthy. Wow. That is amazing. That, that's is. unbelievable. In that Denmark study, was the 8% difference uh, statistically significant? Great question. No, it was not. Okay. And so basically the group between the, the, the rates of autism between the two groups was essentially the same. Yeah. So, so it, it certainly proves it that, you know, even if it's a little bit more, it shows that it wasn't, wasn't the vaccines. And that this morbid fear of vaccines is, is I think, just a, a really dereliction of parental duties. The parental fiduciary responsibility. It is, and I, and I would I would also point out that doctors really do have to do a better job. I mean, there's so much misinformation on the internet. Parents parents are under a tough um, you know understanding about who they really should believe. So I really encourage parents not to make your decision based on something you read on the internet or even something you hear on the radio. Like talk to your pediatrician. They have you know 11 years of training by the time they graduate residency and understanding this stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's bad for your kids, and it's bad for our healthcare system in general. There, there are estimates that vaccines are one of the most um, cheap. In fact, they're one of the few interventions that actually saves the system money because you prevent so much illness. Very few other interventions actually save money. The average, the estimates are every dollar spent on vaccines is going to save between 3 and $10 to the, to the country. And so, um, so I sympathize with parents who are looking for answers. But yes, they, they should not make decisions for their kids just based on something they read on the internet. They really need to do the time to investigate, and the scientific community has done that for the last 20 years. Yeah. You know, it, but as a physician with uh, almost 40 years experience, people that come in that have been on the internet, you can explain everything to them, and they still mm-hmm. will not believe <laughs> really. Because I, really? I, I went through this with uh, my sister-in-law. She came up and she made this statement that, oh, you should drink hydrogen peroxide. Oh. Maybe <laughs> okay. if you want to throw what? up. You should drink what? hydrogen peroxide because it's so good for you. This is, and she had learned this on the Internet. And I challenged <sighs> her and I said, you know, I don't know if that's good. You know, that, you know that's not a good thing to be uh, taking. It goes against everything else. And it's just really caustic and, you know, makes dogs throw up. She, wanted, she, she looked at me and said, you don't know anything about alternate medicine. This is, alternate, <laughs> this is alternate medicine, and you don't know anything about it because you're a Western physician, and you're close-minded, and you're blind to this. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Oh, it's, it's not necessarily that what they read on the Internet. It's that the Internet also tells them not to trust anyone but them because, you know. Right. I know, right. you know, every, no one wants you to know this knowledge that I have, so don't trust them. Trust me and also give me money, yeah. coincidentally. So, so I, w- I, would su- I, w- I would submit yes. to you uh, that— the problem is that physicians have not been on social media and have not created created a what I'm going to say a sense of responsibility or a sense of reliability in the information they provide. They act as these people act as if we are lying. Yeah. That that we have monetary stake in not taking care of patients and and and, the, and not having compassion, not wanting to do what's best for our patients. That it's it, it's a huge tragedy. It's a huge tragedy and a huge mistake in the popular. It's enough. I won't say anything. And if I may, it's it's part of a bigger phenomenon in our society, right? There's this the, the people behind the misinformation are certainly winning some battles. And so so I, I have a podcast where we try to examine. It's called the Demo Crisis Podcast, and we we don't just look at. I mean, the vaccines issue is one where it's so obvious. The, 
the, the evidence is so clear, but even other things like, like climate change or whether the Russians, how the Russians may or may not have participated in the election, those are much more controversial, obviously. But there is truth out there. And, and I, I really, I think the vaccines one is a clear case where, you know, I'm glad there's another doctor on the phone. Tom, I appreciate uh, you're having this discussion because it, it is in the court of public opinion oh, yeah. where we can, where we, we really have to win these, these battles or else our society is going to have things like completely preventable uh, diseases. We're, I'm, I'm facing, some, I'm a plastic surgeon. I do mostly cosmetic surgery. And I'm facing this, a new disease that has just come up in the past six months, and that is called breast implant illness. And it's an illness that what? is widely, it's just, it's a, it's a, non, it's a group of nondescript symptoms uh, that women who have had breast enlargement insist is caused by their breast implants. And then they, they learn a little bit of the science about maybe a biofilm infection or one thing or another, and they're certain that they have this and they have to have their implants out because this, all their symptoms are related to this. Not unlike the scare of silicone in the, in the early 90s, where everybody was concerned that their scleroderma was caused by breast implants. And they went through, they, and, and, we, and, and like you said, when an accusation is made like that, physicians take it very, very seriously, very seriously. And they went through a, almost a 10-year process of, of demonstrating that that was not the case. Now they're going to have to go through the same thing with this, this claimed illness, this breast implant illness. They have to go through the same process because you have to respect it as real. As a physician, you always respect that. When a patient comes in, you respect the fact they have something bad wrong with them. And you, get, you try to eliminate those problems first because if it's bad, you want to know. And that's exactly and when something's claimed like this, which could be bad, you need to know about it. And that's exactly what happened with the, with the, the claims about the uh, vaccines. Physicians took it very seriously. I think that's very important to know. You're exactly right, Doctor. And, and it's also important to remember that the, the guy on the other side of this, he, he, his initial study was 12 patients that he was later revealed to have cherry-picked his data and stood to gain from financially. And that, that doesn't often get reported. Whereas the Den, That's why I'm telling everybody about the Denmark study, because the Denmark study is the definitive proof. You can go, anyone can go read it themselves. It's there for free. 537,000 kids where they, where they looked at this. Wow. So it, it is, and now, now one thing that, that we, we, this, you know, I've read about the neuro, the neuroscience of debunking myths, right? Cause you, you, somebody said earlier, you know, if somebody comes in, they believe something, it's really hard to talk about it. You can't just tell them they're wrong. And that's one thing doctors make the mistake of. They kind of get on their high horse and, and lecture patients. And what we have to do, you know, pay, parents want answers and, and, and you have to, you have to replace a false belief with a, with a better one. That's, that's all, that's what otherwise people will just, the space in their brain needs to be filled. And so that's why I encourage everyone to read the Denmark study, talk to the doctor. You know, a lot of these parents probably got the MMR vaccine themselves and they're fine. And, you know, go just, just don't trust the internet just because it's there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to ask both of you doctors this. I was born in 1951. Okay. So you know what, what my age is. I grew up in a very, very poor, I grew up in the ghetto. That's where I grew up until I was, you know, 20 years old or whatever it was. I never had the mumps. I never had the measles. I never had any serious illness. And why is that, that all this stuff is so prevalent? And I grew up in what should have been a Petri dish of disease, and I never got any of them. Why would that be? Because I don't know why I didn't. Other people did. It's weird. I'd have to say luck, doctor. 
Just luck? That's <laughs> it? <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to think. So in, in the 50s, that was in the middle of the big, of the big advances about um, the polio vaccine. That was when FDR was right. gone by then. But the real, the real yeah. efforts to get the, uh, a successful polio vaccine were really unfolding in the 50s. I think, I mean, yeah, one, luck is possible. I actually don't remember when the measles vaccine was um, introduced. It might have been around that time. I'd have, I don't want to say that and then be wrong. But, I mean, not everybody gets these diseases. And I would point out, it's actually not that prevalent right now. You know, we've got 50 cases in Washington State, but they make the news because the news, you know, always puts things on TV. But the point is, we really, we really, we're actually pretty close to measles elimination. And we could, you know, we eliminated, we eradicated smallpox from the earth, and we're very close to eradicating polio. And we're, we've, we eliminated a, a disease of cattle called rinderpest through vaccination because cattle don't resist the vaccination for fear of autism. So um, that was good. So we, we could do this and we could save our society an awful lot of money. I think it's a great idea. Uh, doctor, can you come back after a very short break for a couple of minutes to talk about Demo Crises podcast? I'd love to hear about it. Happy to. All right, we'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. You know what's great about you playing this music? What? Dr. Rob Cohn is 34 years old, so he has no idea what this music even is. <laughs> oh, everybody knows yeah, who the who is. <laughs> I don't know, I Dr. Do Cohen. Do you? Oh, you do. Okay. I'm 32, and I do. yeah, yeah, you. That's true. But I appreciate uh, that. It's, po- it's certainly possible. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's certainly possible. Well, you know, we I I, I do speeches around uh, around the. Uh, well, I did them around the country for a while now. Basically, I hop out once in a while talking about demographics and how they've changed so greatly in America and how nobody's paying attention to it. And it's, it's just amazing to me. 
that people, it's like basically we're trying to bring back the typewriter and that's never going to happen. So calm down. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to look at. It really is. Demographics are fascinating to me. So tell us about your podcast. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up demographics. So, I mean, I think all of us, when we look at the world, think, think the trajectories look pretty bad. And a lot of experts say, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things are getting worse. It certainly feels like America partisanship is getting worse. Our national debt starts to mount. And yep. so just like with this measles thing that we're talking about, we, we believe that there is such a thing as, as discernible truth and that with enough research into the real studies and ignoring the garbage, we can actually find the right solution. So we just released our first episode of Demo Crises, which, which stands for Democracy, Demography, and Demoralization. We call those the three global demo crises. And demography, you just mentioned, is a real one. I mean, we're, our population on the, on the earth oh, is yeah. exploding. We're at 7.5 billion. And one of, I, I just want to plug my favorite episode from this first season uh, is, is episode seven, where we show Teddy Roosevelt really confronted all these big problems. America did not look good when Teddy Roosevelt took over. There was widening in economic inequality from massive technological change, vicious partisan hatred. There was a very toxic media environment, just like today, of course, except for the Tom Barnard show, which is a, a great source <laughs> of, of wisdom. Um, but, but, and so we really. We really believe that we can we can break through just like Teddy Roosevelt did. And what Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt really reversed the trajectory of the country, and that was just one of the things we found. We found that New Zealand um, went through a very a terrible reign of a of a president from a minority party who who kept winning elections despite losing the popular vote, and he was a brash populist who was pretty a pretty much an embarrassment to the country. And how New Zealand was able to overcome the the toxicity uh from that and that's just two examples that and, and so we, we're very proud of it and we'd like to keep addressing these big questions it it, it fascinates me dr cohen that uh, that uh people insist well television uh, and again I, I i like watching television uh you know we watch amazon and netflix and hulu more than we do broadcast television like everyone else pretty much the way it looks but demographics in and sales demographics are, are just bizarre to me because they will not give up on the idea that the greater uh, number of pop, uh, the population are between 18 and 49, and they're not. And where the money is, back when the, back when the baby boomers, people my age, uh, were 18 to 49, yes, that's where all the money was because everybody went out and they, they got two or three jobs. At times I had three jobs. You know, because you just you wanted to get out there, the child of the child of World War II generation and all that. But uh, they insist on that 18 to 49 demo now. And if you can find a person under 40 who watches broadcast television more than an hour a week, I'd be shocked. They just don't watch television, right? You you are totally right. And and the demographics of our society um, are are a real they're a real challenge, right? We got we have many. They are. You know, one issue is is as one as one race rises to confront another kind of both races races have to handle that well and i would yep. argue that kind of there are lots of toxic members on both sides that are really not handling well the rise of mm -hmm. women to challenge men in the workplace is not necessarily being handled that well by um by certain people um the the uh the major immigration that changes the face of what a country looks like leads to a lot of backlash and then we just mentioned simple human overpopulation i mean these are real real i mean they're they're good things um but we we if we don't handle them right they can go awry just like the rise of germany was not well handled by britain right before world war one 
Yeah, I, I just, I don't know why people want to just cling to this idea that television is an 1849 demo and radio is a 2554 demo and anybody over 54 doesn't matter. That's where all the money is, you dopes. I just, you're trying to sell a product and you don't sell it to anybody that has any money. That makes no sense to me. Well, yes, we need to do 21st century thinking, right? The 20th century model yeah. worked in the 20th century, but it's not going to work in the 21st century. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 the people that are able to adapt are the ones that will succeed and the people that don't adapt. Um, and, you know, innovation is, a, you know, try, I agree, market, market to people over a certain age. And they probably got a lot of time because life expectancy is 90 now. So you got a lot of retirees, 65, that are probably going to listen to a lot of radio and things like that. And podcasts. Yeah, 100% true. And that's the great thing about podcasting is that young people do tend to listen to podcasts, but they're very specific. I don't know, informational podcasts, will I think, are going to break through huge. They're doing okay to pretty well now, depending on the podcast itself. But in the future, I think that people are going to turn and see what I'd like to see people do, doctor, and tell me if I'm wrong about this. Instead of hopping on the internet and trying to track down information yourself, you can now go to podcasts because there are thousands and thousands of them and find the information you're looking for from a true expert, not some idiot at a keyboard, right? You're correct. I would say it's never been easier, but it's also never been harder because there's so much to sift through. Yeah. There, I think there are 500,000 yeah. podcasts. And so we're, this is a big technological revolution, and, and those, that, those come with bumps. And again, I, I, I would point out Teddy Roosevelt. During his time, there was this golden age of investigative journalism, and that's what allowed him to really be able to fix all the big existential threats in the country. But he also had a lot of noise. There was a lot of garbage journalism that they really had to sift through. And a recent guest on our podcast said they, she believes the real secret to overcoming this is using artificial intelligence to really um, help us sift through the noise. Now that obviously is a very controversial topic, and but you know this it, it's 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 really hard and yeah. You know what amazes me, everybody there and Doctor Doctor Cohen as well. As a matter of fact, uh, you look back at media and how it affects the world, and people don't. Uh, that's why I'm 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 very impressed that you got into podcasting because. I mean, you've done it all. Dr. Robert Cohen is a 34-year-old Army veteran, physician, scientist, world traveler, poverty reduction expert, creator and host of the Democracies podcast. It's very, very smart because here's my concern. The advent of newspapers really doing well in the United States quickly followed. The, the first debate in newspapers was, were the Lincoln debates, and he, of course, was assassinated. Then in World War I, radio about a little over 100 years ago now, right around 100 years ago now, radio took over from newspapers as the go-to source, the media source. And there was an assassination of the president then. John F. Kennedy was the very first uh, president on TV who knew how to use TV to get elected, and he was assassinated. So we're like, gee, how's this whole digital thing going to work out in the future here? It's kind of scary, you know what I mean? Yeah, who, Every time there's a new medium, somebody gets killed. But who's in the crosshairs now? Well, yeah. I mean, I think this is an age of turbulence, to borrow a phrase. And, and actually, yep. one of our recent podcast guests, she said, you know, the, the issue is we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. And, of course, we're now an unprecedented 7.5 billion people. And there, there is the risk for a lot of collateral damage. And that's why we really have to learn 
from history, um, you know, in terms of building a good society. Because societies do tend to decline after two or three centuries. That's another topic yep. we discuss on the podcast. And but not not always. I, I, we interviewed a guy who said ninety percent of the time societies fall apart, but ten percent of the time elites figure out what the right answer is and they pass the needed reforms before a societal mm-hmm. crisis. And his favorite example is Europe in the 1840s, which I could talk about if we have time. We have time. Absolutely, we have time. All right, well, the, the I, basic I just, story there is... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, was, I just wanted, wanted to open a spot for you there. I, yeah, so the... Yeah, go ahead. It'll be great. Okay, so basically in, in 1848, there was this major wave of revolutions that was quickly all across Europe. Basically, every country had a revolution that was quickly put down, and a lot of people were killed. And a lot of people compared the Arab Spring in 2011 to that. Everyone got all excited that there was this big wave of revolutions that was then eventually brutally put down with minimal progress. And maybe one or two countries did well. But what, so most of Europe suffered in 1848, except England. Now, England only had peaceful protests. Now, why was that? Because in a similar wave of societal unrest, a generation earlier, in the 1830s, the same one from Les Miserables um, in France, where the king basically brutally put down the protesters, um, England wrecked, they got, the, the parliament got really scared of what was happening, and they passed these reforms to reform their government, make it less corrupt and more responsive to the needs of the people. And so England, that then, of course, England launched this this century of global domination because their people figured out ahead of time, or their, their leaders figured out what was the right thing to do. It's called the Reform Act of 1832, and it's credited with creating England's modern democracy. And But most of the time, we don't do that. On, on the rest of the continent, they just brutally suppressed all the revolutions, and you got, you know, the the, the many wars that everybody's familiar with. And so we need to figure out a way to be the minority. And I really believe shows like yours are the answer. That's why we got into podcasting, because we reach people when they're the, – the average person is really the key to whether we are the 10 percent or the 90 percent. And, and I, would, yeah, I think that is very, very true. And I would also suggest that podcasts are the only centrist uh, viewpoint being expressed. Yeah, that's mm. true podcasts are the only centrist viewpoint being expressed because the podcast when you when you sift through podcasts you start listening to them you know the ones that i'm going to pick out are going to be this centrist kind of a view and I, i've just i've just kind of noticed that uh, one that i've listened to on occasion was bill burr and he's a centrist kind of guy you know he mm-hmm. you know he's you know he's got some liberal attitudes but he got some conservative attitudes really some interesting uh, points of view it's it's a centrist kind of a thing and i think that this is this is the only voice that they have because clearly major broadcast media doesn't have that. You have the paranoid right, paranoid no. left. Yeah. So I want to ask everybody, and Dr. Cohen, I certainly want to get your opinion on this. To me, centrists now would include Democrats, centrists, and Republicans, and then we have the nut jobs and the way far left and the way far right. So centrists are basically the two major parties in reality, plus people in the middle of those. But these extreme positions we're taking on on the left and the right, I don't understand why that's happening or why that's necessary. We're all getting along in the middle. Is that okay? with? Look, my mother was an ardent Democrat. Uh, I have a couple of brothers who are Republicans, but they lean toward the center, both of them. Um, I think those three parties, Democrats, centrists, and Republicans, are just fine. But you get these nut jobs that are just in it to make a ton of money which is what all about 90% of our politicians are, are there for, is just to make money. 
Uh, and you talked about that before. People, uh, people in the in the medical field, coming up with these diagnoses that make them a ton of money, uh, or saying, "Oh, this is horrible," uh, and we're going to—it's scary to me. I will tell you that. But don't you think centrists basically include Democrats, Republicans, and people between them? Is that about right? Question to me first. Yes, yes. that'd be great. Okay. So, yes, I completely agree with you. I'm a John McCain fan, right? I, I, he's my guy, and, mm-hmm. and I think he's sort sure. of a modern Teddy Roosevelt in a way. And, and that's one of the reasons I think our society was so sad when he, when he passed away, because it was kind of the, the last, one of the last best statesmen in the middle here. And, again, I, I want to point out, we've seen this before in America. It gets this bad before. It's gotten this divisive right before the Civil War, which should really scare us. Yep. It also got this divisive yep. in, Teddy, in Teddy Roosevelt's time. In Teddy Roosevelt's time, the Socialist Party came out. A guy named Eugene Debs actually won 4 to 6% of the vote from 1904 to 1912, reminded me a lot of Bernie Sanders. Meanwhile, the Republican Party moved so far right, Teddy Roosevelt actually left it and founded his own moderate Bull Moose Party right. and ran as a third party in 1912. And so the difference mm-hmm. is Teddy Roosevelt understood what to do, whereas in the 1850s, our leaders really failed. So we need to be much more like our leaders and our people need to somehow get around it. And the media, you mentioned the politicians make a lot of money. I would agree with you that the media also makes these, these partisan oh, news stations. God. They make so much money fomenting oh. outrage. And, and that's why I appreciate your show. And, and, and this is what you and I, we're all trying to do in the middle here. You're a good man. Dr. Cohen, you, you got to come back. We, we got millions of things to talk about, so you're not going to get rid of me, pal. <laughs> I would love that. No, I, I, I really would. We, our, our first season is there for people to listen to. There's so many topics that we're, pr- we're proud of. That we have 13 episodes come out of the last uh, quarter of the year, and, and we'd love to talk about, quite frankly, all of them. Yeah, it's terrific. Dr. Robert Cohen, MD, Democrises.com, the website, Democrises podcast as well. And we'll talk soon, Dr. Rob. I, I appreciate your time today, sir. I look forward to it. Thank you as well. Have a good day. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority is also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers. Come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call our fleet reps right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver.
What do you think of that? Wonderful. Yeah, nice try. Yeah, it was a really <laughs> nice try. That, that sounded really sincere. Great like, oh, scat, that Dan. Out. That's yeah. great scat. <laughs> as soon as we hear from Stephen J. Rubin and David Lee Miller, just let me know. Mm-hmm. We'll put them on, and we can kind of schmooze for a couple of minutes before they come on, and then we can start the whole segment over when they do pop on if you want, or we can just, if it's a five-minute deal, yeah, we, they still on. have ten minutes. Yeah, it depends on how it, how it works out. But, um, yeah, I, I tell you what, I, I thought that Dr. Cohen was a very smart guy. Uh, but that does concern me, and, and I try to talk to people about that and go, what are you talking about? But, yeah, I mean, newspapers get big. The Lincoln debates in the newspapers, assassinated. Then uh, Teddy Roosevelt's time. Who, uh, was it McKinley? What, what year was McKinley? He was the one that was assassinated in, like, 19... 19- when was McKinley assassinated? I just don't have that knowledge right now. Why not? Look what it up, sister. Okay. Well, no, I thought you might look it up. You know, it's not Andy's that big deal. Andy's all job. Over, oh, he's all over like 1901. Oh, 1901 it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so that was, you know, 40, 40 years later, whatever, 35 years later. Yeah, it tends to be between 40 and 60 years. And it almost, well, it doesn't always land near the 50 mark. But you got... Uh, you got McKinley was assassinated in 1901. Then there was the hatred again following that, right until Teddy Roosevelt in 19, what, 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. that, that era right in there. Then John F. Kennedy gets assassinated in 1963 after the advent of television. So it was newspapers, then radio, then television. Well, now we are 56, 57 years later after the assassination. Well, let's see, what, what would it be? We're... 1963, so we're about 55 years after the assassination, 56, 57 years after the assassination of Kennedy, and now we have more hatred than I've seen in the last 50 years of one another right now. And why? Well, it's the advent of digital, where people go on digital and rip the hell out of each other on Twitter and Facebook, which they did on television, which they did on the radio, and which they did in newspapers. Every time there's a new medium that comes along and you can spew hatred, it causes huge problems in our society as it is right now. And the, and the medium that's dying, like hate, like newspapers, you know, yeah. d- does it even more is pushed even more to that oh, yeah. direction because they want to stay yep. on, they want to get the headlines, have the has headlines out there. Yeah, they want to be they want to be feel important to people. So it, it really scares me what's coming down the line because uh, again, I was. Oh, I guess back in those days, I was about 18, 19 years old when things got really hideous. And, you know, it's been war after war after war since, uh, well, I, it was a while after the, after the Civil War. But since about 1900, uh, war after war after war, well, there's a new war about every 10, 15 years. In, in, well, before our time, you went with uh, World War II and then immediately Korea. And that hasn't ended still, by the way. There's been no truce called in, in the Korean War. It's, it That's never right. ended. That's right. It's still there. Um, yeah, the Vietnam War followed right after that. Then the Middle Eastern War start. We've been at war now for decades and decades and decades. And it's because stupid people have access to media. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. That's true. The problem is that really stupid people put things on now it's on the internet and other people believe it because they're dumber than hell too. You can't listen. 
<laughs> you mean our pitchfork society can't handle yeah. talking to people? Yeah, they can't quite handle it talking to people. No. Which I think is unfortunate. the most important skill a person can have today is the ability to sniff out misinformation. But oh, God, I would yeah. say probably well, 90% of that literally don't have that ability at all, which is a problem. I think I think you're right. I also think that they need to start teaching people how to read an entire sentence. That'd be good. And mm. not just take a little glance at a sentence and then uh, and then make make the other make the person who wrote the sentence look like they're doing something wrong mm. because it fits your agenda, which is what is happening over and over oh, yeah. on social media. And it's just like you didn't even read the sentence; you just jumped down someone's throat because it it suits you. It's it's really an unintelligent way of having a conversation. It is absolutely. I don't think you can teach have we all... intelligence and rationality, though. That's you can something teach people, people to read don't. read a whole sentence, though. You could say, uh, you, you know, I mean, it would be pretty easy to just make people if they just would pause and read the whole sentence. And speaking would... of pause, we have the authors of the cat who lived with Anne Frank. Marvelous. Stephen J. Rubin and David Lee Miller. Uh, are you both with us, Stephen and David? We're here. Oh, we are. How are you? We're here. Ooh, can I get a little more volume out of that, Andy? David. So, David, before we continue, I have to tell you, meeting you today, because we've never met before, correct? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. But I will tell you, David Lee Miller, as of today... You're the fifth David Lee Miller that I know. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's true. It's like, I wonder if it's one of the David Lee Millers that I know. <laughs> but, you know. That's, that's funny. Uh, that's right. There, there, there are a few. I think there was a professor. There's a professor yeah. of um, English literature. There's the dude on Fox News. <laughs> And, right. and and then there's a murderer. There was a murderer, I think. Who... David Lee Miller, that's right. <laughs> nice name, David. Okay. No, it's a great name. It's a great name. Thank the you. Cat Who Lived with Anne Frank. The book's mission is to educate a new generation of young people and their families about the lessons of the Holocaust and Anne Frank and the need to confront racism, intolerance, anti-Semitism, bullying, and bigotry in this age of emboldened hate. I, I'm really glad that you're talking about this because it, what, what amazes me is People are, well, well, first of all, racism, intolerance, anti-Semitism, uh, it's, just go away. What? Well, I don't think that's how it works. Someone because, just go away. No, I'm just saying. Like, how do you, you? Look, I've never met Stephen, nor, nor have I met David. Right. But I, I'm not sitting here going, well, what are the, what's their deal? I just, they're, they're people. We've already had a laugh about David Lee Miller stealing his name from five other people. <laughs> no, I didn't. That was just a joke. But, but <laughs> yeah. The racism, intolerance, anti-Semitism thing is so old hat. It's like, good God, what is it, like 1800? Get over it. But the bullying and the bigotry part of it, if we can't place that squarely on, on digital, on the Internet, on Twitter and Facebook, it, it just, the bullying on there is disgusting. What, what is this all about? I just don't get it. Well, the other thing, um, this is Steve, um, um, Tom, when when did Nazis suddenly become kind of heroes again? It seems that kids in college are given the Nazi salute and they're yelling things at soccer games that Jews could burn. 
I mean, it's almost what? like, I mean, we all saw the images of that kid. That kid yeah, that's the them. news today in, in Holland. There is a, a trend at the soccer games. They've got this chant going now um, that Jews burn best. Oh, what? God. And uh, it's about burning the Jews. Yeah, and a bunch I, of I a just... bunch of uh, fans just got arrested. I think it happened yesterday um, uh, for this ongoing chant that seems to be occurring at soccer games. So we, we definitely have anti-Semitism on right. I mean, all, all you need to do is say Pittsburgh now, and, and, and you get it. But what you were saying about God. social media is really true, too. It's interesting that the, you know, the youth, I mean, young people are growing up in this age where they're super connected, and, but they're also super disconnected. And, yes. um, but yet yes. they don't know anything about the Holocaust. They don't know about Anne Frank. They know about bullying, and they know about school shootings. And isn't it interesting that they've taken up hashtag never again? because they don't want any more bullying and school shootings where they live, and that is precisely the rally cry that came out of the Holocaust, was never again. Never again. I, I will tell you both, Stephen and David. Brown. I grew up, uh, I was born in Minnesota, grew up in Minneapolis. After World War II, Minneapolis was the most anti-Semitic city on earth, and a lot of people don't know that, but it was. And now it's grown to a situation where, and, and by the way, I grew up, uh, in, in a, in a uh, Catholic, black, and Jewish neighborhood, North Minneapolis, and they surrounded North Minneapolis with freeways so we couldn't get out. But, you know, other than, so I was happy that I learned <laughs> about other cultures. You know, there's a Catholic culture, there's a black culture, there's a Jewish culture. I learned a lot from all of them. We had a wonderful time. I, I loved living there. I don't understand. Here's what I don't get. Is, is because you're, you have a different skin tone or you have a di- different belief system in what God is or is not or if there is a hell or if there's a heaven and all the rest of it. I don't really, it's not in me to hate someone based on their belief. It makes them happy as long as you're not hurting other people. Why do you hate people because of their ethnicity or their religion? I don't understand that. Right. And, and that was the beautiful thing about Anne as a way to learn about that. When you read yeah. her diary, she's just she's a normal teen girl dealing with normal teen mm-hmm. things, and yet there's all this hate around her. And I think our young people growing up today have a very similar sensibility. And, you know, that was the whole concept here. You know, what easier way to, you know, give a portal for even younger kids, which is what we need now because kids are being exposed to stuff at younger and younger ages, and that's a reality. We can't, we're not going to be able to change that. All you have to do is go to a restaurant, and, you know, we used to have to pick our kids up and walk them out of the restaurant if they misbehave. Now you just hand them a cell phone, and, you know, there they are flying away. So how do you reach them at a younger age? And, 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 and we just felt the cat, which is completely historically accurate. Yep. There was a cat. Anne writes about the cat several times in her diary. Um, uh, it is a perfect, you know, portal to reach a younger audience in, a, in a, uh, an appropriate way, but, you know, that doesn't hold punches, but isn't also showing, you know, piles of bodies and things like that. Yeah. I, what also I, I, yeah, fascinated so. us was the fact that, well, I was going to say what fascinated us was the fact that the cat is the only creature that actually leaves the attic every day. And Mushi, this little black cat, goes on the streets of Amsterdam and shows what Amsterdam has become, that it's become a a terror zone for Jews, that you can't walk the streets. Some people ask us sometimes, why didn't the Franks and the Van Pelses and the dentists 
those eight people just sneak out at night and you know it was impossible there were checkpoints and military roadblocks everywhere and mushi through mushi's eyes we see other things that are happening on the streets of amsterdam that we discovered in our research like the fact that they were hiding jews above the lion and tiger cages at the amsterdam artist zoo i mean this is true and uh, all these things are happening, and it's interesting to point them out through the cast size, which leads us to a younger audience. A great idea. I think a very important part of that is, again, I just return to my youth, you know, in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, the Catholic neighborhood was from the Mississippi River to Lindale Avenue. Lindale to Penn was a black neighborhood, and Penn to the, to the western border of the city was a Jewish neighborhood. But we did intermingle. I remember, you know, after I was 10 years old, my father was gone, and I do remember uh, the black men and women, Jewish men and women, being very kind to me, being very nice to me. They were kind to everybody. Why was it that in, in the late 50s and the early 60s that people would help one another, and now we're farther apart than we ever were back then? That's a really yeah, good I, question. Tom, uh, you know, I don't know if we know the answer to that one, Dave. I don't know if we know the answer either, but I do get a sense from this new generation that that uh, the color of somebody's skin, their sexual orientation, doesn't seem to matter as as much. Um, and I, I you know, I have great hope, and respect for the young people growing up. Um, and you know, we have taken steps backwards. We have armed Nazis marching in the street. We have, you God. know. You know, massacres. We had, we're from Thousand Oaks, California. We had one in our neighborhood, and we're supposed to be the safest city in the United States. Um, we right. just had this borderline shooting. So, you know, there's this combination of, 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 of these things happening. And, and I, uh, you know, hopefully this new generation will, will be combat, combating these things. But you also have to realize it's a very nervous time for these kids growing up because they have oh, access yeah. to everything on, on, on their phones and because they don't know what's true and not true on that phone. Um, and that's, yeah. that's very anxiety-provoking. Um, so we really need to reach them with messages of, uh, of you know, of, of anti-hate and, you know, messages of tolerance and acceptance. And uh, I think this I book is one little, one, one little way to do it, but there's, it's, a big, it's a big battle. And um, we I grew up in a similar neighborhood yeah. uh, being from Milwaukee, so I... I Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a lot of relatives in it. Yeah, I mean, it was. It did seem to be a very different time. My 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 dad and my grandfather came from a very similar neighborhood that 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 really was a melting pot. But yet, I don't know what mm -hmm. is going on in Minneapolis. Milwaukee, we have a lot of racial strife right now. We have a, a, a we're above the national average in 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 child poverty, which is mainly African American, and right. um, you know we got to fight that too. The no, other thing no is, we, in our book, we don't, hesitate to sh we, uh, we don't hesitate to show the swastika. There are swastikas on the streets. There are swastikas on the soldiers. You know, we're kind of showing it without, you know, without pulling our punches. You know, young people today need to know the presence of evil and the historical evidence of it. And we, we, we've been told that in some quarters they won't, they won't take a book with swastikas in it, and I think that's unfortunate because when you don't show the truth, people make up their own truth. 
Yeah, well, that's it. And, and, and when you've got digital, when you got digital to get your word out there, even though you made it up, everybody sees it. It's really disturbing to me, I will tell you that. It's, I think what you guys are doing is just wonderful. Talking to young children about this, trying to show uh, what it's all about instead of, you know. Look, if you, if, we just talked about this in the previous hour, that if you go on the Internet to try to learn anything, you're going to learn all the wrong things because they're not true. It's unbelievable, the lies that take place on the Internet now. I will also tell you both, gentlemen, that... Uh, Minnesota just elected a congressperson um, who, she's a Muslim woman named Ilan Omar, who the first thing she did um, upon taking office was go after Israel. And I'm like, what? This is is your first order of business? You've just been elected by uh, very liberal voters, a lot of them Jewish, as a matter of fact, and the first thing you do is turn on Israel? What is that all about? Do you do you understand any reason there whatsoever? I don't understand why you would do something like that. It makes no sense to me. Well, that's that's part of the problem in our government today that people don't talk to each other. They just yep. they just uh, raise their own points and they don't want to listen to anybody else. There's no talking across the aisle. I'm sure we'll we'll get a, an earful tonight in the president's speech. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point <laughs> yeah. where nobody wants talk about things anymore. Yeah, no, that's no, unfortunate. Uh, but, yeah, well, you know, it's funny, um, yeah. you know, Israel really, really happened in, in many ways because because of the Holocaust. But, you know, yes. that was a tough road, too. Um, you know, after the Holocaust ended, you know, a lot, a lot of those, those displaced Jews, um, ended up, you know, in camps that the British were running. Some of which were, yes. you know, at one point they were being threatened to uh, threatened to take them back to Germany. You know, which which oh, just been, been bombed out and certainly represented the last place they wanted to go to. Um, and that really was what you know kind of uh, helped launch the state of Israel and have the UN support that. So. Um, mm. But you know those things are repeating themselves too. You know, uh, yeah, um, many Jews were away uh, by 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 uh, the policies in the in the United States. Shiploads of Jews who ended up going back to the camps. You know, very similar immigration yeah. uh, feelings uh, that 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 turned around. And you know, it's interesting that those um, the group that was behind that at the time was called America First. You know, and now America yeah. oh, First gosh. is back. All the simple brands <laughs> are, are back. And America First was run by another celebrity, who was Charles Lindbergh, who was openly anti-Semitic. Yep. And it was all about don't get involved in the war, don't fight Hitler, and don't allow um, you know, refugees in who could become tax-paying, productive citizens of our society. Uh, no, I, I do appreciate so the fact you have pointed out it, that Lindbergh it, it, was a very Minnesota. very Oh God, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah. I, here, here, here's what I'll do. I want to close with a story that I, I hope you appreciate as much as I appreciate. Exactly what we're talking about. The way I grew up, and by the way, I speak more Yiddish than any Jew in the entire state of Minnesota, and I'm a Catholic kid, so that was a great education for me. It was wonderful, right? So here you go, Stephen and David. This, this yeah. is a true story. I'm standing in front of Desnick Brothers uh, drugstore on Penn and Plymouth Avenue. The Penn Avenue would split the black neighborhood from the Jewish neighborhood. 
but I was standing there on the corner in front of the drugstore, and the old Jewish men at that time all wore Homburg hats, and they wore the, the top coats with the velvet collar. You remember those at all? You remember seeing anybody dressed like that? You might not yeah. be old enough. Yeah. So I'm standing there, and we're looking down to the east, down Plymouth Avenue, and there are kids running out in front of cars, and there are kids acting like fools, and their dangerous behavior, all the rest of it. And this, the whole time, this old Jewish man wearing the Homburg and, and, the, and the overcoat, he's lighting a cigar that he just brought from the drugstore, and he's looking, and he's looking, and looking. I'm like seven years old, eight years old, maybe. And he looks down at me after he lit a cigar, and he takes the cigar out of his mouth, and he looks down at me and goes, kid, don't ever act like a schmuck like that. <laughs> It was a wonderful time, so I hope we can all come together again. Like when I was a yeah. kid, it was, hey, look, people weren't treated right by the, you know, by, by the politicians and by big business. But in our neighborhood, we all treated everybody pretty much the same. It was a wonderful way to grow up. And I, and I hope the cat who lived with Anne Frank will help to bring that back. I appreciate your time, gentlemen. Great talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you, Bob. Take care. We'll talk. You too. Stephen J. Rubin, David Lee Miller, ladies and gentlemen, the cat who lived with Anne Frank. I, I hope to God that this all gets across. Oh, you're a Jew, so I hate you. You're black, so I hate you. You're a white man, so I hate you. Can we get away from that? That's, I, you know, it would be nice. It would be really, really nice. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show. <laughs>